Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even though the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Doug Thompson mentioned earlier this morning uh, about uh, absence of uh, some of our folks because of camp week starting, and uh, I want to uh, reiterate that it is uh, a very important time for those young people, and we uh, want good to come from uh, that event. That makes your presence here today all the more um, pleasant to us that you chose to come and be a part of our assembly. We hope that you'll come back this evening at six o'clock when we meet again for worship. We would like to have you in our assembly. I was going to begin this sermon by telling a story about remembering, but I forgot it. Not really. But, but remembering is an important matter to all of us. If you're like me, I know that when we don't remember, it can be embarrassing. It's embarrassing to forget. Maybe none of you have had this experience. Have you ever walked out of a store into the parking lot and not been able to realize where your car's parked? Several years ago, that happened to me in uh, Sugar Land, and I thought my car had been stolen because <laughs> I couldn't find it anywhere. But sure enough, it was right where I left it, in the parking lot, just not the place I thought it was. It, it can be frustrating not to remember. You ever gone to the store and bought things and then came home and realized you didn't really buy what you went to get, but you got what you didn't intend to buy? That can be embarrassing. I, I think sometimes not remembering can be funny. That is, if you let it be funny. I, I like the story about the man who said that if his memory got any worse, he could plan his own surprise birthday party. The idea of remembering is also important when it comes to spiritual things. And the reason that we know that is that the word remember and related words, remembering, remembered, and so on, appear more than 250 times in the Bible. And often the word remembering may not be found, but the idea of remembering is definitely there, even though it's not used in the text. There are also a number of references that point out the idea of not forgetting, the importance of not forgetting. And that leads us to the passage that you heard read just a few moments ago from Isaiah. 
the time of this writing, God's people were in the midst of uh, a lot of difficulty. By his grace, they had escaped from what looked like certain destruction at the hands of the Assyrian army. That, that threat was over. But following that uh, threat and their escape from it, the king of Judah, Hezekiah, made a serious mistake. He entertained representatives from another country called Babylon. And when they came to see him, he made sure that they had the grand tour. The text says he showed them everything, all of the treasures, all of the possessions of his house. And because of that, God issued a warning. If you, ha if you have your Bible open this morning and you need it, I hope you'll have it open at Isaiah, not chapter 40, but go back to chapter 39 for just a moment. And then listen to God's warning to Hezekiah. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. What God had said would happen did, of course, happen. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, would bring his armies against Jerusalem at least three times, 606 B.C., 596 B.C., and 586 B.C. Chapter 40 of Isaiah shows that God's people didn't really get it. They didn't understand what was going on. And, and it shows that they thought that God perhaps didn't see their real plight. That, that he was ignoring them, or maybe he had forgotten about them. Does he really remember? And God answers their complaints. In fact, he tells them that what they should be remembering. They didn't need to remind God about what he should remember. They needed to know what they should remember. And his counsel to the Jews so long ago is also good counsel for us. Even though it was written centuries ago, I think it's valuable even today. I think it's fitting for all times, both bad times and good times. And so I want to notice with you for just a few minutes what Isaiah says in chapter 40 about remembering. First of all, he says through, or God is actually saying this through him, remember who you are. Remember who you are. If you look at chapter 40 and verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My just claim is passed over by my God. Yes, I know that the words remember who you are are not used there. But the idea is there. How is that so? Well, 
He calls them by name. He calls them Jacob and he calls them Israel. Why does he do that? Well, you have to go back in history away because God made a great promise to Abraham. And that promise was in part that a great nation would come from his seed. That promise was spoken initially and repeated when Abraham had no children. But God had promised a great nation will come from your seed. And then later, his grandson Jacob would have that same promise repeated to him. Again, in your Bible, if you can turn to Genesis 35 quickly. Genesis 35. I'll give you a moment to get there. And verse 11 and 12 of Genesis 35, also God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you and to your descendants after you, I give this land. Just before giving that promise, God had said something else back in chapter 35. And if you'll look in chapter 35 at verse 9, you will read, Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. The name Jacob or Israel stands for the entire nation many times, and it stands for that here in Isaiah 40. When God speaks about Jacob and Israel, he's not talking about a man. He's talking about a nation. Look back at chapter 40, if you will, in verse 11. I will feed his flock. Like a shepherd, I will gather his lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with their young. God does not forget his people. God knows his people. They know he knows who they are and he will not forget them. And he wants Israel, Jacob, Judah to understand that is true. Isaiah would later record that uh, God said something else to his people. When you go over to chapter 62 of Isaiah, Isaiah 62 and verse 2, you will read, The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. They shall, you shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. The reason that verse is important is that when you come to Acts 11 in the New Testament and verse 26, the end of the verse says that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It's interesting and telling both that the word that is used here for called, the disciples were called Christians, is not the common Greek word for call or to call. It's an entirely different word, and it's used only two places. And because of that, and the reference in the other place, and this reference, 
It is implied that this is a divine calling. This is not just somebody calling them Christians. This is God giving them the name that he had promised he would give. If that is not the name, then we are left clueless as to what name it was. But we know that it was. And we know that New Testament writers say not to be ashamed of this name, but, but, to, but to have it in honor and, and to realize uh, the importance of it, what it is to be a Christian. We, like those Jews, need to remind ourselves periodically who we are. And, and, and one of the ways that we remind ourselves of who we are is reading verses like 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. Because as the apostle writes to that group of Christians, and he could have written the same thing to us, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that, he, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God who, have not, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's not supposed to make us arrogant. It is supposed to assure us that God cares for us. We remember also that John, excuse me, <coughs> reminds his readers in John, 1 John 3 verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. It is an honor to be a child of God. And we need to remember that. But there's something else that God says about remembering in Isaiah 40. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that is remember who he is. Is it possible that God's people could forget who God really is? You wouldn't think so. You would think that their history would have made them understand exactly who God is. And yet God reminds them, if you look at chapter 40, and verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. Look at how God pictures himself here in Isaiah 40. He is the everlasting God. He's not a God who began, he's not a God who ends. He's not a God who had a start or who has a stop. He is the God who stretches through all eternity. He's the creator, the maker of all things. He is the one through whom all things came. And he is unlike humans in so many ways. He never tires. We do. He never fails to understand. We do. He never feels overwhelmed, and there are many times when we feel overwhelmed. Our God is an awesome God. And that awesome God has not changed. We need to remind ourselves again and again that God didn't lose any of his ability or his power since the end of the writing of the Bible. He is Almighty God. And yet in looking at his greatness, we are encouraged not for, to forget his goodness. First Peter 5, verse 7. 
encourages Christians by saying, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. Or Philippians 4.19, when Paul assures the Philippian Christians, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Our God is not only a great God, an awesome God, a creating God. He's a sustaining God, a giving God. Paul would remind us in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, he says. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. How important it is for us to remember that his power can meet our needs. We don't need to feel overwhelmed. We don't need to feel that we cannot accomplish anything because our God is a powerful God who gives to his people. We lean on him and he provides for our need. One final reminder of what God tells these ancient Jews. Remember to wait on him. See, God makes a great promise of help and provision of power to those who wait on him. Verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like, with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The idea of waiting does not imply just sitting around doing nothing. Sometimes we use the term that way. What were you doing? Well, I was just waiting. I wasn't doing anything. That's not the idea of this word, biblically. The idea of it is an eager anticipation that what God promises, he will deliver. When we wait on the Lord, we are expecting him to deliver. Waiting's not easy. <clears throat> you can ask Abraham and Sarah as they see years pass before that promised son comes. You can ask the Jews as they spend 400 years in Egypt waiting for deliverance. You can think of, uh, of David as he languishes, uh, waiting to become king, knowing that his kingship has been guaranteed by God. <coughs> there have been people who have had to wait because that's what God wants us to do. What, what, what must we understand about this waiting we know it's not easy. Here's what we have to understand. God's time is right, not our time. And that's really difficult for us to understand. We think God ought to do things according to our time frame. It's not the way God works. Recall Paul's words in Galatians 4 verse 4. <clears throat> he tells the Galatians, When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. There have been people who have questioned for years, why didn't Jesus come earlier? Why didn't he come right after the sin in the garden? Why didn't he come in all these other periods of history? Because it wasn't God's time. God knew the time. And in his wisdom, Christ came when he was ready. We have to trust him. That means we understand that as we wait, God can be trusted. Will he answer our prayers? Yes. When? In his time. Will he keep all of his promises? Yes. When? In his time. It is his time that's important, not ours. The Jews needed to remember who they were, who God was, 
and how important it was to wait on him because of who they were and who he is. That's exactly what you and I need to remember. We need to wait on the Lord if we're his people. You see, if you're not a saved person, then you need to remember that you are not right yet and your waiting will not be rewarded if you're not his people. And so this morning we extend an invitation to you that if you're outside of Christ, if you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins, that you put your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, that you make that mental determination to turn away from the life you've been living, to live the life he wants you to live, and that you will confess with your mouth before others your faith in him as the Son of God, and then allow yourself to be dipped in water, immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. If you need to do that, we want to help you do it. If you're a child of God and you have not been faithful to what you should be, we would gladly pray with you and for you if you come while we stand and sing.